0: So Philippians chapter 2, we're starting, we're looking, we're focusing on verses 14 through 18, but I want to start reading in verse 12, just so we have the context uh, of where we left off last week. So we're going to start in verse 12 today. And the Apostle Paul, again, writing, and he says, Therefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, so now not only as in my presence, but much more in my absence, holding fast to the word of life, so that in the day of Christ I may be proud that I did not run in vain or labor in vain. Even if I am to be poured out as a drink offering upon the sacrificial offering of your faith, I am glad and rejoice with you all. Likewise, you also should be glad and rejoice with me. Father, as we spend time in your word today, I pray that you would help us Lord, to understand uh, your word, Lord, to to take it and not just be hearers of your word, deceiving ourselves, but Lord, that we would be doers of your word, that we would act on it, that we would live it out, Lord, that what we hear today, that you would, by your spirit, apply it to our lives. Lord, show us where it is that, that we are out of alignment with your word, out of alignment with your will Lord, show us from our time in Scripture today, Lord, where we are in sin and where we need to repent and to ask you for forgiveness and to walk and renew fellowship and relationship. Lord, I thank you for each person that is here today. Lord, I thank you that you are working in their lives. Lord, that you are always working. As we sang today, you are working, you are moving in our midst and in our lives. Lord, I pray that, that your plan and your purpose Lord, that you would unfold it in even greater detail for each one of us today, and that you would help us live as your people in this day and age, that we would be faithful unto you in our generation. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. amen. Now, of course, last week we looked at this, this passage in verse 12 and 13, where he talked about us because of what Christ has done for us, therefore, because of the gospel, because of Jesus humbling himself and going to the cross and paying the price for our sin, because of his victorious resurrection from the dead, because of him defeating Satan and defeating sin, because he is seated at the right hand of God, ruling and reigning. Because of that, we are to work out our salvation because it is God who is working in us. And we spent last week walking through, that we can work it out, that we have something to do for God. Not that we work for our salvation, but that we work out our salvation that God has already worked in us. And then he immediately now goes from that idea that we looked at last week into verse 14. And he starts with telling us what it looks like to work out our salvation. So what does that look like practically? how, How do we do that? And he starts by immediately going to some very convicting territory because he says, do all things without grumbling or disputing, without grumbling or complaining. Now, if you're honest, I think that we could all admit that grumbling and complaining and disputing and arguing is sort of a national pastime for Americans. It's kind of like what we do. It, it's kind of more popular than baseball and basketball and football all combined together. We are complainers. We are grumblers. But here, if we're going to work out our salvation, the first thing we have to do, he says, is stop complaining. Stop grumbling, stop disputing, stop arguing. We love to complain about everything. The most insignificant details, the most minor of things, if it's off or out of sorts, we are so quick to pull out our phones and tell the world about the injustice that we have just suffered. Waiting at the dry cleaners or Stuck in traffic. Can you believe this happened to me today? And it's the most minuscule and minor of infractions. We are good at complaining. We don't even have to try. We just do it naturally. He goes on to say not only complaining, but also he uses this word disputing or arguing or questioning. Now, I want to just clarify here that he's not talking about defending the faith or standing for the truth, but what he's talking about here is arguing with God, complaining to God because ultimately if God is sovereign, and he is, then every complaint, every murmur, every grumble is ultimately against him. Let's say that again. If God is sovereign, and he is, then every complaint, every grumbling, every murmuring, every dispute is ultimately against him. Now, again, like I said, I'm not talking about defending the faith or standing for the truth. I'm talking about arguing against God. Now, there's more going on here than Paul simply telling the Philippians, hey, Stop all your grumbling. Stop all of your complaining. And the key to understanding this is actually found in verse fifteen, when he says that we live in the midst of a crooked and twisted generation. Now, can I get an amen to that this morning? That I mean, and, and, and I don't need to even go into the examples of this. Right, the examples are on full display, clearly shown, clearly displayed for us every single day the insanity of the world and how it has gone mad. We live in a crooked and twisted generation. But this phrase that here Paul is using here, he's actually quoting from the Old Testament. This phrase cro- crooked and twisted generation is actually from Deuteronomy chapter 32, verse 5. And Paul is quoting from Moses who called his generation a crooked generation. ...and twisted generation. Moses' generation, you will remember, uh, grew up in Egypt... ...grew up in slavery and tyranny under the Pharaoh in Egypt. The people of Israel had been enslaved for 430 years. But God raised up a deliverer. God raised up Moses to to set his people free. And so God, through mighty works of, of miraculous salvation brought the children of Israel out of slavery. God had made a promise to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob that he would bring his people into the land that he had promised to give to Abraham, the land of Canaan, the promised land. And he had promised that he would bring justice to that land against the wicked inhabitants of that land. And we can rest assured that that is something that God is always doing. When a people corrupt themselves against God, there's only one thing that remains to be seen, and that is for God to bring justice upon those people. Now it might not happen overnight, it may not happen quickly because the Bible tells us that God is actually very patient. And so we see and we look around the world and we say, "Well, look, look at these look at how these people have been evil. And these listen, God is patient." The Bible says that God is not willing that any should perish, but that all would come to repentance. And so God is patient, but there is a time in which God's patience runs out. And God's patience had run out on the people of Canaan for their wickedness, for their idolatry, for their child sacrifice, for their gross perversion. And he brought justice. He was going to bring justice upon them through his people, and he was going to give their land ...to the land of the Israelites. He had made a promise to do that. And so God delivers His people out of the nation of Egypt. And He does it in in a series of of mighty works... ...a series of ten miracles... ...that culminates in an eleventh miracle... ...where the, the children of Israel are brought through... ...the Red Sea on dry land... ...where the sea literally parts before them. They walk into the wilderness on dry land... The the nation of Israel goes in after them and in one stroke God defeats that whole nation's army as the waters cover them and God sets his people free. Of course upon that great salvation they celebrate, they sing a song, they have a big party. But what's interesting is as they begin to make this short journey... It should have only taken them a few weeks to travel from Egypt into the, the promised land. As they begin to make this short journey, you know what they start doing? Grumbling. Complaining. In fact, within three days of this mighty salvation, within three days of them having their feet on dry land in the middle of the Red Sea, Within three days of that same sea closing in and setting them free from the nation of Israel, Egypt, within three days they're complaining to God. And do you know what they were complaining to God about? They didn't like the way the water tasted in the wilderness. They got to a place that the water didn't taste very good. Now, you know what this reminds me of? It reminds me of my children, honestly. Honestly. You know, I tuck my children in bed every night, and I try to, and I pray for them, and we spend a little bit of time together, and inevitably, every single night, one of them is so thirsty, they're about to die. I mean, just parched. So they begged me, they begged me, please give me some water, please. Now, we live in a two-story house, and our kids' bedrooms are upstairs, and the kitchen is downstairs, and I'm not really thrilled on... Doing that and going downstairs to get them a cup of water from the water machine, cold water. They want cold water. (laughs) So what I typically do is I'll find some sort of something, some sort of apparatus that I can put water in. And I'll go to their bathroom sink and get some, you know, if you're so thirsty, you're about to die. Yeah, here's some water. And they'll take one sip of it and they'll say, is this sink water? Is this sink water? <laughs> yeah, it's sink water. I don't like sink water. Listen, if you're so thirsty you're about to die, you can drink sink water. When I was a kid, I drank water straight out of the hose, uh, let me tell you. I survived. No, I want, I want water from the machine. I want it to be cool. and Could you put some ice in it? Now listen, listen. It's one thing for a five-year-old to act this way it's another thing for a whole nation of adults to act this way three days after God had miraculously set them free from slavery of 430 years yeah we know you set us free from slavery and it's really great to be free but we just don't like the way the water tastes God I mean could you help us out here so guess what God does he makes the water sweet. He has them miraculous. he miraculously works a miracle and turns that, that water they didn't like the way it tasted into like sugar water and they're happy for a few days. And so God leads them then to a, a place called Elam and it had 12 springs and it was like this oasis in the desert. So they have all their water issues taken care of and now guess what they start complaining about? The uh, The food. God, we, thank you for the water, but hey, our food situation. And so God, what does he do? He rains down manna from heaven, bread from heaven. And he begins to feed them with this miraculous supply of food and water in the wilderness. And they begin to get sick of the bread. Maybe they were on a low-carb diet. I don't know. They, they, they say, that's enough bread. Bread. We want some meat. Send us some meat. And so God sends them these quails that just, they don't even have to hunt them. They don't even have to go out and catch it. It just falls into into the land there. And God begins to feed them and supply them. And then you know what they start complaining about? Well, God, thank you for the water and thank you for the bread and thank you for the meat. But we really miss the herbs and the spices that we had in Egypt. You know, when we were in Egypt, yeah, we were in slavery. Yeah, we were not free. Yeah, we were oppressed. Yeah, we had no future. But at least we had uh, an herb cabinet. At least our our herb rack was full. I really miss the oregano. I, I really miss the cumin. I really could use some salt and some pepper on my quail. Well, finally, somehow they make it to the promised land. And they send in 12 spies that go into the promised land. And we know the story that, that two of the spies come back with a glowing report. They say, this land is awesome that the Lord has promised us. It flows with milk and honey. You're tired of the bread. You, you want the spices. Listen, this land has it all. They brought back a cluster of grapes that was so large and so lush, they had to put it on a pole, and two men had to carry it on either side to show just how bountiful and fruitful that this land was. It's amazing what God is leading us into. But then there were 10 other spies who who saw that, but they also saw something else. They saw that it was going to be difficult. They said, oh, there's giants in the land. You don't understand the people there, they're strong and they're mighty and they're warriors and we're just a bunch of slaves. And what can we do up against this mighty people? And they, those 10 unfaithful spies turned the hearts of all the people. You know, it's interesting, there was 12 spies. We only know the name of two of them. What were they? Joshua and Caleb. Joshua and Caleb. There was 10 other spies. Nobody remembers what their name was. Nobody names their kids after those 10 spies. They said, let us go at once. We are able to do it. The people, they begin to complain again. This time, this complaint manifested in full-scale rebellion. They wanted to stone Joshua. They wanted to stone Caleb. Possibly even they wanted to stone Moses and Aaron And they made a plan to appoint new leaders who would take them back into slavery, who would take them back into Egypt, who would take them back into bondage because they did not want to go and fight for what God had promised them. And it is this generation that Moses later, telling the next generation that has come along, God God had told them, you know, because of this rebellion, you're not entering the promised land. You're going to wander in the wilderness for 40 years, and the next generation that rises up, they will go in and they will possess what I have promised to them. And it was that unfaithful generation, the complaining generation, that Moses tells the next generation that's about to go into the promised land, he is telling them everything that God has done, And he says, your parents were a twisted and crooked generation and they died in the wilderness and they didn't enter into the promised land. In Hebrews chapter three, verse 19, it tells us that all of this complaining, all of this grumbling was actually a manifestation of something much, much deeper, There was something much deeper going on that that caused them to complain. There was something much deeper going on that that made them discontent with their circumstances in the wilderness. And Hebrews 3.19 tells us that what was at the root of all of this complaining, what was at the root of all of this grumbling and discontentment was that they had unbelief in their hearts. They ultimately did not trust God. And so as Paul sits down and he's writing to the Philippians and he tells them to work out their own salvation with fear and trembling and to do everything without grumbling and complaining in the midst of a crooked and twisted generation, what he is telling them is that you must root out every area of unbelief in your life that manifests itself in grumbling and complaining, or you likewise will not enter into the promised land that God has for you in your life. Last week I talked to you about living a a life of frustrated faith or a life of faith that is fulfilled. And all complaining and all grumbling and all arguing with God, it is ultimately rooted in unbelief. That we do not believe God. We do not trust God. Now we would say, of course we trust God. We believe in Jesus. We have faith in Christ. And why is it that we can have faith in Christ for our eternity, trust in Him to to deliver us into the kingdom one day but then when it comes to trusting Jesus right now for for here for today we fall short we need to apply that same faith that we have in Christ for eternity to right now today because if you are grumbling and complaining ultimately it is to God because he is sovereign and ultimately Hebrews 3.11 tells us it is just like the children of Israel who God had saved, who was bringing into the promised land, but they still had unbelief. They were not trusting God. And listen, trusting in God is a decision that we make. I choose to trust in God. I choose to have faith in God. I choose to to believe in him and to believe in his word. Now, listen, there is no doubt we are part of a crooked and a twisted generation. But he says that we should be blameless and innocent children of God without blemish in the midst of a crooked and generation, not part of the crooked and twisted generation. Now, trust me, I understand that there are plenty of things to grumble about right now. There's inflation. There's the war in Europe. There's the border crisis. There's the gas prices. There's there's all kinds of different things that we could complain about. But is God not sovereign? Is God not sovereign? Is he not on the throne? Is He not the King of kings and the Lord of lords? Therefore, we should trust Him. We should trust Him. And if we're grumbling about the inflation, we're not trusting our sovereign Lord, the one who promises to work all things together for the good of those who love Him if we're grumbling about this or that or this or that or complaining about this or that, ultimately those complaints are being levied against the King of kings and the Lord of lords. And as believers, we should trust God in the midst of all of these things. Are we going to be aligned? Are we going to align ourselves with those who do not trust in God? Should not our voices who claim to believe in Jesus Christ King of kings and Lord of lords, should not our voices be echoing something different than the rest of the world? Shouldn't we have a different word in our mouth than the rest of the culture? Yes, we're in a twisted and and and, and, and broken and perverse culture. Yes, it's full of people who are grumbling and complaining, but it shouldn't be us. It shouldn't be us. And if our voices are simply echoing what's on the news today, we will not shine as lights in the world. He says that we should, as God's children, right, called out of darkness into light, set free of sin, shame, and death, bestowed with the riches of heaven, filled with the Spirit of God, right, as children of God, we're to shine as lights in the world. But if we're just regurgitating what we heard on Fox News or CNN, I don't care what news you're watching, some news guy on TV, whatever, if that's all we are regurgitating, if that's the only word that we're proclaiming, we're just like everybody else. We're not shining as God's children. I'm not shining as lights in the world. Listen, we have a news to share that is better than Fox News. It's the gospel of Jesus Christ. It's the only news that can bring salvation. It's actually good. God's children shining as lights in the world in the midst of a crooked and twisted generation. My grandma used to say, as she used to say, and you could probably quote it with me: don't curse the darkness. Oh, maybe I said it wrong. I don't know. Light a candle is what she used to say. Or maybe it was light a candle, don't curse the darkness. Maybe I should have started with that. Don't curse the darkness, light a candle, shine your light. What what is inside of you? What is in your spirit? Is it all of the doom and gloom? Listen, we're part of a different kingdom. We belong to the kingdom of God. It's not tied to. My destiny is not tied to the destiny of the nation that I live in. It is tied to the kingdom of God. A kingdom without end. Don't curse the darkness. Light a candle. Listen, you are in the world. We live in the world. We live in the midst of darkness. But we can shine as lights. Listen, when there's all the doom and gloom, when you go into work tomorrow, guess what everybody is going to be talking about? What's going on in Europe? And oh my gosh, is World War III about to break out? That's what everybody's going to be talking about. What if somebody in the midst of all of that worrying, complaining, blaming, right? Blaming this president or that president or this political party or that political party. What if God's people... In the midst of all of that said, hey, listen, I know all of that's going on, but let me tell you something. I'm going to trust God. Let me tell you something. My king, he's on the throne. My king is ruling and reigning. We're going to trust God. I'm going to hold fast to his word. God has a plan. And because of that, I am not going to fear. I don't have to fear because I belong to him. And His plan is good. And His plan is perfect. So we don't need to give in to fear, worry, and doubt. I believe that God, what God has promised, He is going to fulfill. That He is good. And that He is just. And that there is a day of justice coming for every tyrant. That one day, Vladimir Putin is going to stand before Jesus Christ and give an account. I don't have to worry and fear about him getting justice. God will give him justice. Who's saying that today? It should be you. It should be us. It should be the people of God that are tuned into another source of news than simply left versus right. Listen, we need to to grab something from above. We We need to bring the kingdom down, not just left versus right. We need God's kingdom in our midst. Spurgeon has this great quote. He said, that which is nearest to the heart is generally most on the tongue. That which is nearest to the heart is generally most on the tongue. The book of Proverbs puts it this way. Out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. It shouldn't be grumbling. It shouldn't be complaining. Grumbling and complaining is a manifestation of unbelief. But we trust God. We're people of faith. We can can shine as lights in the world if we do not harbor unbelief in our hearts. And how do we do this? Where, Where does he go from this? He goes now, we go down. Hey, I made it through two verses. All right, now we're into verse 16. He says, holding fast the word of life. What do we hold on to in the midst of all of the chaos in the world? We hold fast to the word of life. We hold fast to the promises of God. We hold fast, fast to the truth of scripture. We, we do not base our belief on, in God only simply on external circumstances. That, that's again what the, the, the Israelites did after they got out of Egypt. They did not hold fast to the truth. They did not hold fast to God's word and to what God had promised. But they let what was going on around them produce unbelief in their hearts. They they let the, the, the temporary lack of resources cause them to doubt God and cause them to doubt God's promises. That was their problem. Their faith was dictated to them by their circumstances. Listen, that's not the way faith works. That's not the way faith works. Faith doesn't only work when things are good. In fact, if your faith doesn't work when things are bad, it's not working right. There's a malfunction there. It's when we don't see it with our eyes and we declare, I'm still going to trust God. That's faith in action. If you only trust in God when everything is good and peachy and going your way, that's not faith. Faith is the evidence of things not seen, the assurance, the confidence in God, even when we don't yet see the full manifestation of it with our eyes. And how do we have that? How do we have that kind of faith? We hold fast to the word of life. The word of life. I love how he calls it the word of life. Listen, there's no other word that can produce life. There are plenty of other words. There's plenty of other sources of news and and plenty of other opinions. But there's only one word that can produce life. Produce life in your soul. Produce the fruit of the Spirit in your life. Cause you to shine like lights in the world. Listen, listen we got to be tuned in to God's word. We have to hold fast, hold tightly to the word of God in times like this. Get in the word. Get in the book. Turn off the TV. Listen to the good news. Fill your soul with this. So that when the world is grumbling and complaining, a, a crooked and twisted generation, that you have the word within you. That you can share the truth, that you can share the gospel, that you can share about the kingdom of God. And when you do that, guess what? You shine as lights in the world. You shine the light of Christ. We shine by, people, by being people of deep-rooted faith, holding fast not wavering and too often God's people are full of other words are you holding fast to the word of life and look at the results look at look at then what this produces going down to verses 17 and 18 he says even if i am being poured out remember paul is writing in prison he's in prison for preaching the gospel He planted this church in Philippi. That's who he's writing to, these beloved believers. He says, even if I am poured out as a drink offering. Now, this was one of the offerings that the children of Israel would offer to God. Of course, we know that this is fulfilled in Christ, that we don't still do this. Nevertheless, he's he's saying that he himself, his life is being poured out. That his life is being spent, poured out. In service unto God. And he says it's being poured out on their offering of their faith, their sacrificial living. That that these two are going hand in hand together of of Paul living for uh, the kingdom of God. And he's encouraging them to follow in his example for them to live out their faith in a sacrificial way as an offering unto the Lord. And he says, what this has produced in me, he says, I am glad and I rejoice with you all. Likewise, therefore, you should also be glad and rejoice with me. What does all of this produce? When we hold fast to the word of God, when we uproot unbelief in our lives, when we we choose to trust in God in the midst of difficult circumstances, when we even go beyond trusting Him personally but shining forth our lights in the world, when we choose to live for God and for His kingdom, when we choose to allow our lives to be poured out in service to others, what does it produce? It produces joy and gladness. It produces joy that overflows. Paul says, I am in jail. This is not where I want to be, but I'm full, more full of joy than I've ever been before. But I'm happier than I've ever been before. Now this seems counterintuitive to us because we know, unfortunately, we our, our minds have been trained by not the word of God, not the kingdom of God, but our minds have been trained by our culture which tells us that to be happy, you must be comfortable. To be happy, you must be wealthy. To be happy, you must be liked by everyone. To be happy, you must have a perfect and easy life. That's what our culture tells us. It's not true. Here, Paul is in difficult circumstances. He's not where he wants to be. He's totally poor and destitute. In fact, the only reason he's able to purchase food for himself, which he had to do in that Roman system, it wasn't like a two-star hotel like our prison system is today where you get three squares a day and good exercise. No, he had to even supply for his own needs. And so the Philippians had sent him an offering so that he could even purchase food for himself. And he sends this letter back with them. But he says, in the midst of all of this, though I have nothing, though I am in prison, I am full of joy. This seems counterintuitive to us, but Jesus said that his kingdom was an upside down kingdom, that the way up was down in the kingdom of God. The greatest among you must be a servant. And so the key to everlasting joy is not found in perfect external circumstances. The key to everlasting joy is found in relationship with your creator and in fulfilling the call of God that he has on your life. That is where joy is to be found. When you as a child of God begin to shine forth as lights in the midst of a twisted and crooked generation. Now, to do that, you're going to have to overcome some, what my pastor, Pastor Sam Walker, calls stinking thinking. You're going to have to overcome some lies, some deceit that we're all programmed with. Well, nobody, I'm going to be rejected if I, if I say this. I mean, yeah, Pastor, I mean, that's great for you to stand up and say that on a Sunday morning. But for me to say that on a Monday morning. Listen. This is who you are. You're a child of God. You're not like everybody else. Quit trying to be like everybody else. Listen, everybody else is so jacked up. Why do you want to be like them anyway? You're a child of God. Stop trying to blend in with the world. You can't do it anyway. God's going to continually push you, elevate you, press you to get you to shine as a light. You might as well get on board with him. Hold fast to the word of life. Share it. Spread it. Don't be ugly. Don't be a jerk. I'm not telling you to do that. Be kind. Be loving. Be gracious. Be full of faith. Trust in God. Trust in his word. Hold fast to his word. Hold fast to his promises. Listen, we have a story to tell that's different than the story that's being pushed in the news. We have a message to spread that is good news. We're called to shine as lights in the world. And don't buy into the lie that tells you if you do that, you won't be happy. That you, you have to not do that to try to, to save yourself uh, from being unhappy. Because look at Paul. Yeah, he doesn't have all of the, the natural things that we would have. He doesn't have the roof over his head. He doesn't have uh, abundant provision for himself. Yeah, he's even in bondage and in chains, but he's full of joy. He's full of joy because he's not trying to get his joy out of those external circumstances, but his joy is found in his relationship with Jesus and living the life of God had called him to live. And likewise, your joy will not be found in your external circumstances, but it will be found. True joy is found in relationship with our creator, Jesus Christ, and in being the people he called us to be in shining as lights in the world. Amen. Would you stand with me this morning and invite our worship team to come and our ushers to prepare for a time of communion. Father, we do thank you for your word. We, we thank you for speaking to our hearts today. Lord, if there's areas in our life where we have been grumbling, where we have been complaining, where we have not been trusting you, Lord, today we repent of that. Lord, we repent of our unbelief. We repent of our grumbling. We repent of our complaining. Lord, we pray that you would fill us, fill us, God, with your word. Lord, that we would hold fast to your word. And Lord, that we would have a confidence and that we would trust in you. And Lord, that you would give us opportunities even this week to shine as lights in the world. We give you thanks and praise. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.